0: Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st, cash prizes, free swag, yacht meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review, send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com, and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show.
1: Eight years ago, when we started the company, I said, well, let's go virtual. And in a, mainly because I've ran a lot of business where I had huge overhead and that mm. stress every month. And, and the one thing I've learned is, yes, you can have great offices and show off and things like that, but it's going to come off the bottom line. So when COVID hit and everyone had to go virtual, we already set up and primed to do so. So then we just focused on support and systems more than anyone else and to optimize the whole thing. In this marketplace, when most people are shutting down and slowing down because they have huge overhead, they have what where's that where's that negativity gonna come out of it's gonna come of worse pricing, right? So for me, I'm as lean as mean as possible, so I can still give my clients a very good rate, pay my loan officer a very good income, and still capture the a good amount of the market.
0: Welcome to the Rich Summers Report where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Report. Today, I got a special guest who's crushing it in the lending game. He's funded $7 billion worth of loans. He's in my exotic car club, Fast Lane Drive. I got my man, Chris Groves. Chris, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. I uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, we connected through Fast Lane Drive, your local here in San Diego, which is uh, exotic car club. Uh, they got multiple chapters in, in different parts of the uh, the world now. Um, and I had Clem on the podcast about two months ago. Um, and I joined. I was like so inspired by that conversation that I was like, as soon as we got done recording, I'm like, dude, I want to join. So I got in. Uh, we connected. Um, but uh, you and your wife, Elena, you mm-hmm. guys run your company together. You guys just got back from uh, Mykonos and you did some some traveling through Greece. Tell me about that
1: yeah no we uh we just got back from we started off in uh turkey Um uh, we went to cappadocia or mm-hmm. if i'm pronouncing that correctly yeah, cappadocia. We Went to a crazy uh
0: music festival up oh, there it was what's next, the name of that one i saw it online
1: uh R- R- Gamp, like
0: i, I, mean, I can't even pronounce yeah. it at this point but it was it was on Real experience. is that the one where there's like hot air balloons too
1: we did the hot air balloon yeah. photo shoot it's on my ig right now yeah. uh, we did a photo shoot at like 4 a.m we party all night long you know, met a, met a photographer 4 a.m. right, to photograph. So it, w- it was just next level. Um, but we started there. Then we went to Istanbul. So we went party. Then we did history. So we, mm-hmm. you know, saw the mosques and, and did the grand bazaars and all that good stuff. And then we went over to Mykonos, um, another party vibe for about four or five days. And then we yeah. ended up in Athens for
0: more history. So it was it was a nice flow, but it was our 10 uh, year anniversary trip this year. So Dude, congratulations do congratulations. Thank you to you and uh, Elena. Um, it's funny, I- I've been to Turkey twice now. And the first time I was in uh Cappadocia, it was actually the first city I've ever uh visited in Turkey. Amazing. It was two years ago. And it was uh in August, two years ago, and I remember that music festival being in town. Um I didn't attend, but um you have to get, it, I have to go back yeah. and attend this this festival. EDM in the middle of Cappadocia, which is oh. like basically like middle of Turkey, but very cool. Like uh cool vibe. It's like caves nice. everywhere it's unreal just that all the hotels were in the
1: caves and, and just the vibe of the city and the, and the food and the people. It was, it was really a, an epic experience. So did you guys stay it. in a cave? We did. We stayed at the, the main hotel there and it, like you, you kind of get into these rooms and they didn't have any air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Though, so we get in, and there's like a straight drop down where the bathroom is. And, and, uh, and shower and stuff like that. So, you're trying not to kill yourself every night after coming home at like 3 4 a.m. every day. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was truly epic. I, I definitely want to go back. I didn't think I would say that when I was going there, but I definitely go back for sure. What was the highlight of your trip? Um, I mean, that was definitely one of the biggest highlights. We ended up on Elon Musk's yacht in Mykonos. No and, way. And we ended up with one of the top DJs, number one DJ in, um, in, uh, uh, Columbia. he was with us. We went up with this other group and it was just positive vibes with like 20 people we just kind of randomly met and combined and on Elon Musk's boat and all the paparazzi who were following us around we were cracking up. It was just it was just a really cool you know experience
0: overall. Just what's what's positive. Elon's boat yet like? It's the Zeus. It's okay. all
1: gold. It's all gold. Um it wasn't like crazy huge. It was just really nice and clean. But the service in Mykonos, I will say like me and my friends were laughing um because everyone would just say whatever you want. Like you'd ask for something, whatever you want. Right. So my I have a whole motivational speaking rod to do called the one ten movement. So my buddy mm-hmm. Andrew looked at me. He's like, Chris, I finally understand what 110% means. It's going
0: above and beyond, right? It's whatever you want. So that was the the vibe of the trip. It was epic. Dude, I love that, man. Um, I was in Mykonos last summer and so much fun out there. Just the energy, the different beaches, the <laughs> parties, and um you can't I don't think there's anywhere in the world that kind of like compares with that same type of like vibe and energy. Yeah. And then it's exotic. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is, like you say, Vegas never sleeps. But Mykonos is, is like everything's open. You want to buy a Louis Vuitton at 4
1: a.m. Mm-hmm. Like all the restaurants, all the stores. I mean, it's genius. They're they're open. and never stops. So it, it's, it is unreal to see. But it really sucks the driving around that city. Because it's so narrow. So, that's always a, a experience for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and I will say the hangover in Mykonos is a lot better than than Vegas because you don't have the 110 degree yeah. desert heat. That, You're right on right. the water.
1: Yeah. It was pretty warm when we were there the last couple of days. We finally got that Mykonos wind and that good vibe. But overall, we had a good weather. Then come back to San Diego when it's cloudy again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, speaking of uh, yachts and being on the water, uh, this Saturday will be my first fast lane Drive event. We're going to do a, a drive uh, for a couple hours on Saturday followed by a yacht party on one of the members yachts uh whose whose yacht is that i don't even know are you ready for the hazing
1: to begin or <laughs> no I, I'm, not, I'm not sure they read it out i heard it's epic it's like 150 footer and i think they got another one and there are talks of a third one to, to keep up with the demand of everyone that was coming in because we got members from all over the country three coming to this one three yachts and then you know they'll obviously go out and then they'll
0: tether them together out there so it should be pretty epic should i bring a, a, a plus one with me or should i go solo
1: um, yeah, I'd probably if you have someone you're seeing, I'd bring a plus one because okay. I, mean, I don't think there's sometimes just single people, but they're it's a lot of members and things like that. So it yeah. just depends how serious you are. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are these events typically like? Um, so we start off in the, the morning early, you know, for the drive. You know, they always say show up at eight and we start off at nine thirty. Anyways, so I'm the guy that always shows up at eight. Anyways, and my wow. wife yells, yells at me. like, Let's go Let's Be on time. <laughs> Um, but then they have a route planned. We'll drive for a little bit. We'll stop. We'll hang out, take photos and then drive, stop, hang out, take photos. And then, you know, depending on the route we go on this one, they will be a little bit shorter because usually we end around like three or four, but the op thing is going to go on a one. So it will be a, a good drive to kind of get you in. But it's not about like racing, you know, like we're, you, you get some speed, you have fun, but you know, driving supercars, you get a little more you're more comfortable driving in a group, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're not sometimes when you're in your supercar alone, people act a little weird when you're a your group. It's just a little more protection, but it's not about racing the other members. It's about having fun and keeping safe, of course, as well. And, you know, and it's just all good vibes and good energy. What kind of car do you drive? I've got a couple. Um, I have a McLaren GT 23, I've got um, a GT um, uh, Continental Bentley. Just picked up a uh, Lambo Urus uh, two weeks ago as well. A couple.
0: Yeah. Love that. Um, how's the Uris, by the way? I feel like I'm seeing a lot of those all over lit Italy these days. Well, I talk crap about it at first. I said, <laughs> who would
1: ever buy a Lambo SUV, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I'm going to buy a Lambo, and buy a, a car. My, I bought it for my wife. It was her, her uh, birthday present. So it's got her name on it. That's a hell of a birthday gift. I actually dropped that on the last uh, Fastlane um, event. I surprised her in front of the whole group and um, up in Beverly Hills really? with the car. Oh, I love so that. So it's on video. It's pretty sick. But it's her, her mommy car. We have two yeah. children. We have a nine year old and a five year old. So she's loving it. So yeah. I get to drive it on the
0: yeah. weekends. <laughs> I'm good friends with uh, Preston in okay. uh, in Fastlane. And uh, he speaks very highly of you and Elena. He's yeah, like, dude, yeah. these guys are always dressed to a T and they always show out. And, you know, you're showing it now, man. the listeners <laughs> out there, uh, Chris is all swagged up, dude. Got the set, got the jewelry, you got the shoes. Um, I'm impressed, man. <laughs> Let's say on it. Well, I, I I come from very
1: humble beginnings, brother. Like yeah. to me, like I moved out to San Diego fifteen years ago three hundred bucks, no job, no car, mm-hmm. and just made it work. You know, it's been hard work and I think I've never taken a loan from anyone. Me and my wife built this company by ourselves. We never took on any partners. Um, my belief is hard work will prevail and I've never stopped. I mean, honestly, the first time I've ever taken two weeks off in my last fifteen years was my anniversary trip, you know, that just took. Asked my wife, I never take time off. I never like totally clock out, but I said, it's our 10 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend time with you. This is for us and our relationship. And she said, I did a pretty good job. So, first time.
0: Yeah. So, what were you doing uh, before real estate? And, like, what, how did the whole lending thing come to fruition? So, I was doing uh, personal training, Um, probably my first big business I ran. So,
1: I worked with Padre players, Charger players, doctors, lawyers, like all high level individuals. Um, you know, for me, I've always been a sponge of people. So training, you know, is all about dedication. It's about, you know, getting people to a goal, motivating them and then being around people of that caliber that can afford my services. You know, you you get a lot more opportunities to come your way. Um, so I was running probably an average 16 sessions a day. I was doing about 350 to $400,000 a year as a private personal trainer Had my own gym at one point. And then I just kind of long story, that one had bad partnership, but I just ended up doing a private business for, Good amount of time. And then my wife talked me into getting into real estate, of course, like everyone else in California was getting into real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started off as an appraiser, became an agent, then became a broker, then worked at Keller Williams with a team lead, uh, Jeremiah Taylor and Chris Heller, um, and started working on recruiting and building teams and things like that. My wife was actually more on the loan side when I met her. So her dad ran his own personal business as a mortgage broker and a real estate broker. So, and he was very successful. And my wife started working with him at a very young age, at 15. So her dream became my reality. I always laugh about it because it wasn't my—I never thought I'd be running a big mortgage company across the U.S. Um, but I started off on the real estate side, and she was on the mortgage side, and we started doing deals together, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was just a really good flow. Like, there's very few people that keep up with my speed and energy, and my wife is just an amazing, articulate um, savant when it comes to numbers. And we just vibe very well in business. And then, you know, at first when I was running at Keller Williams, she was at Movement Mortgage at the time as an in-house lender. So we were working together within, you know, at a certain level all of our deals. Um, but we just kind of got pigeonholed of what we could do, right? So a lot of lenders only have a certain amount of products. Pricing's not there. There are just issues along the way. So we we kind of sought it out a better opportunity, and we really couldn't find it. So we built it. And that's kind of how Groves Capital started. It was like, hey, listen, I'm going to stop you from complaining to build you a company exactly the way you want it. And she had a vision for it. And, and, um, and then at a certain point, two years in, we were doing well. We were doing seven figures, just the two of us. And I said, well, let's build this. And she kind of laughed at me. She's like, who's going to come? I'm like, we built this for you. You're an amazing originator. We, we crush it. Other people are going to join. And she kind of laughed at me. Within five months, we were up to, I think, 55 people. Within two years from that, about 550 from that point.
0: So... What was your bread and butter early on with the lending? Was it residential strictly?
1: So mine was like, I was doing real estate. So primarily in my training business, my wife was doing the mortgage side. So that's kind of how we like funded our own business. And then as I transitioned out of you know training, I focused more on real estate and then now mostly I focus on lending at this point. But I still have a big real estate team. We've got about 40 different agents, 700 loan officers across the country as well. So a lot of different divisions in addition.
0: Wow. Uh, Which brokers do you guys work with on the the agent side? As far as? Um, Like your agents are hanging their hat under a brokerage, right? (coughs) So I have my own brokerage. Oh, you have your own brokerage. Broker broker Groves. And and that's Groves. Okay. And and then Groves Capital. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay and uh, today are you still involved with both businesses or are you strictly just on the lending and, and someone else runs the uh, the brokerage side? No, I still run and operate both sides.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, I, if I can double triple end, you know, my deals and teach other people to do it, I believe some brokers don't like that because they're like, "Oh, it's a conflict." For me, it's not a conflict. I'm going to if I got that ball, I'm going to get to the hoop. If I'm in control of the whole transaction, my clients are going to have a good experience. So, for me, that's why I like to run the whole thing cuz I know it's going to get done correctly. The one thing about real estate and mortgage is there's always going to be issues that arise, mainly because there's so many people in the transaction. If one person drops the ball, the quarterback's always going to get you know
0: yelled at, mm-hmm. you know, or or the praise when things go right. Totally. I haven't heard the term triple N. I hear double N the deal all the time. What agents use, but triple N—that's everything. That's everything. that's it's buy, sell side, and the loan. Yep, yeah, exactly. Dude, I love that. Exactly. What what's the um what's the biggest challenge that that you face uh growing the the lending business? Um, the biggest
1: challenge is just keeping people on the same page. Um, we were kind of the first company to pioneer a virtual platform eight years ago when we started the company, I said, let's go virtual. And in a, mainly because I've ran a lot of business where I had huge overhead and that mm. stress every month. And, and the one thing I've learned is, yes, you can have great offices and show off and things like that, but it's going to come off the bottom line. So when COVID hit and everyone had to go virtual, we already set up and primed to do so. So then we just focused on support and systems more than anyone else, and to optimize the whole thing. In this marketplace, when most people are shutting down and slowing down because they have huge overhead, they have where's that where's that negativity going to come out of? It's going to come of worse pricing, right? So for me, I'm as lean as mean as possible, so I can still give my clients a very good rate, pay my loan officer a very good income, and still capture the a good
0: amount of the market. Yeah. I feel like it's always a fine line when you're scaling, but then also, you know, there's volatility in the marketplace right now. So it's like a fine line in terms of like how you're going to run your expenses. You know, are you playing the long game and you're looking to, uh, you know, scale and yeah. hire out and maybe you're going to take a loss in the short term for the, the long term gain? Or are you going to scale back and just try to run as lean as possible to just kind of maximize cash flow? I feel like it's always a balancing act that I'm, I'm personally trying yeah. to kind of figure out. Yeah, it's definitely tough. I mean, most of my competitors right now are laying off and shutting down.
1: I can, I'm very prideful that I didn't have to lay off any people this yeah, last two years. I love that. Um, you know, we, we pivoted, we went hard into commercial business loans, SBA loans, equipment loans. Um, I didn't cut any of my staff. I'm actually still growing in this environment. We just had an article come out in Yahoo calling us the fastest growing five-star entity in this marketplace, which is a pride, right? If you can make it in this market, you can make it in any market. Mm-hmm. You know, We've never been a refi-only platform, which most lenders are. Like, oh, and the refis are there. Let's crush it. And then they kind of back off and then they come back around. For me, purchase business is what my focus has always been on. Refis are there. That's easy street. Anyone can sell someone to save money. That's not a hard sell, right? Mm-hmm. Selling people now in this marketplace with the higher interest rates and getting them to understand the, the advantages of purchasing, regardless of where the market's at. It's always going to be advantageous in any market to buy property, but well, you got to get it out of their heads, the, the, the crap they hear on TV, right? yeah. all the misinformation.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, I, I play in the commercial space and, you know, you made the pivot over to commercial. Um, what's it like? Because there's, there's definitely a, a learning curve. So with your team, they're doing all residential stuff and then you guys pivoted to commercial. Was there much of a learning curve there or a transitional period? If you are a busy professional and don't have time to invest in real estate, but still want to participate in the passive income and tax benefits, my team, Summers Capital, is buying a lot of boutique hotels right now. We source the deals, we renovate the properties, and we even do all the day-to-day management, making it truly hands-off for our investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to summerscapital.com invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com invest. Now back to the show. Hey guys, real quick. The only way this podcast grows is if you guys share it and review the show. So if you do find value, if you could take two seconds and drop a five star on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to me. But more importantly, it will help us reach new audiences and help more people build wealth through real estate investing. Yes,
1: I mean, even for me,
0: it was—it's
1: a different beast, right? Like, yeah. you know, you're, you're selling differently. The way the transaction's handled um, is very... It's slower, mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. When residential, you can pr- put things in a pricing engine, you see pricing, it's real time. When it comes to commercial, what are you doing? You're going to select lenders, you're waiting for them to get back to you. It's not... Everything's direct, you're an LOI, then you're putting that deal together and get it to close. So it's a longer process. So I think that's the biggest irritation I see from my loan officers transitioning over. They want it like this, mm-hmm. which I like it as, that, as fast as possible. But that's what I've been trying to focus on right now is how to optimize commercial lending and bring it up to the speed of residential. And that's why we're getting articles, you know, about our company saying that we're changing the name of the way commercial should be done for for the better. And that's the main focus. So we're bringing more investors, which means our clients have more opportunities to get the best deal possible, and, and it can really compete because a lot of lenders, a lot of commercial people, keep their contacts super close and their little black book. Right? It's mm-hmm. archaic. It's slow um I want to change that and I want to I want to streamline the process
0: bring more opportunity and 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 crush it. Yeah, I feel like there's a big delta between the, all the lenders that I talk to uh the ones that are, you know, they they're in it but they're not really gamers and I got my like small group that they're just gamers and they're going to they're going to push deals through. Yeah. And I know that I can trust them. I know that they're going to get things done and they keep these deals moving forward. Um and so I think there's a big delta there. I think a lot of it comes down to um, you know, Workflow, education, knowledge, but also like the desire to like want to go after it and get it. You know, um, and I think like some people, they either have it. Some people just don't.
1: Yeah, you got you to gotta be persistent in this game. So even for me as an owner of the company, I have to call people, hey, what's going on <laughs> with that LOI? We're going to push hard. And it's like, you know, micromanaging is it feels like a full time job. If I didn't have to do that, how much more Can time efficiencies I'd have in life. Um, But yeah, and there's, like you said it exactly, there's some people in, in that really want to crush the business and they're going to go above and beyond. And then there's a lot of lazy lenders like, oh, if it doesn't fit this box, it's out. The people I call, the ones like, no, let's figure out a solution. What's what's pivot, what's change around, what's called CPAs, what's figure out how to make this deal work. Yeah. And those are the people I want to work with. If, if I have an AE or a lender that's willing to do that, they're going to get my business. Like, that, that's always been my thing. Whoever wants it the most, that's the guy I'm sending my business or the gal I'm sending my business to.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel like there's there's definitely been, uh, you know, I would say over the last 18 months in the high interest rate environment that we're in, I've definitely noticed lending dry up, especially mm-hmm. the more creative financing stuff, uh, second position loans. Um, hard money has gotten more expensive. but um you know it's 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 a lot more challenging to find capital out there. A lot of lendings are pu- uh, lenders are pulling back, they're getting more conservative. but the same token, I'm seeing a lot of new lenders, Enter the marketplace and try to like, you know, fill these gaps that are mm-hmm. out there. For example, um, I was chatting with someone a couple weeks back, but he's starting a uh boutique hotel debt fund for stabilized hotels, mm-hmm. 10 million and under, because he identified a gap in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, because most, most lenders will only touch those of the SBA loans, not mm-hmm. typical lenders won't touch special yes. boutiques. Cause I was looking in boutique hotels right now and pivoting from Air- Airbnb's as well. Yeah. I saw your I saw your podcast about that. I was like, all right, smart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So You know, right now it's like it's it's a lot more challenging to get ten million and under uh, stabilized loans for hotels, Mm -hmm. and so because of that, a lot of the private money, hard money bridge lenders for the boutique hotels, ten million under, are seeing that, and now they're pulling back. And so this guy started a private debt fund; they're going after solely the stabilized hotels, ten million and under, which I thought was smart. And so I'm starting to see like you know a bunch of these different lenders attack these gaps in the marketplace. Uh, What are you seeing on your end?
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of niche lenders that we have. We work with close to 215 different investors that I have approvals with this point. So um, I always say, if we can't do it, no one can. I mean, stated income's back, asset depletion programs, foreign national programs. I mean, I have all the creative solutions. So for me, if, yeah, I find those and I seek them out. Like this week, I was talking to an individual that has all his money in Turkey's doing a property in Miami. Nothing's been built before. No one's going to touch his loan, right? Mm-hmm. He was with First Republic, which I was as well, but that was a relationship ba- based bank, and he, everyone turned him down. I'm getting, a, I talked to him yesterday, and getting an LOI to him probably this afternoon. Right, mm-hmm. no one has been able to do it, but for the right contacts, right opportunity, will make it happen. Yeah, lending really, especially in that space, it, it should be more about the client and focusing on their overall picture than debt to income ratios and 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 the the normal parameters of lending. for me it's like that's what First Republic was good about. They're like, hey, I'm gonna look at this client and look at what, what the money they have in the bank, look at the properties. It makes sense, you know? But a lot of these these lenders are like, oh, the ETI doesn't match up or they don't have, you know, six months or a year of reserves. We're not gonna touch it. You know, the bottom line is are they gonna pay off the debt? Are they gonna pay their monthly? For me as a lender, that's all I care about. Like they're gonna I'm gonna make my interest and they're gonna make their payments. That's it. And not you don't always see that on on the numbers directly.
0: Yeah. So there's been a lot of volatility in the interest rate environment over the last 18 months, and you know we're all speculating here. But you know I'm hearing different things thrown out there in terms of where the rate environment is going to go. Um, you got some people that that feel like rates are going to be stabilized at six, seven percent over the next you know 24 months. Uh, you got folks like Grant Cardone. He came on the podcast and he's saying we're going to see three percent rates in the next 18 months. Uh, and I would say the majority of the folks are kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, what's your sentiment sentiment on the, uh, the interest rate environment as we move forward? Well, first off being in sixes and
1: sevens isn't a high interest rate, right? If you mm-hmm. talk to anyone that bought houses in the eighties and nineties will laugh at you, right? Like I was buying at 12 to 16%. We just got spoiled. We got spoiled for through COVID because they want to facilitate the economy and keep money moving. So we saw threes and, and we're like, oh, this is reality. It wasn't reality right? um, And we gave out too much free money. So, and now, now, obviously that had its ramifications and that's why we're at, where we're at. So five and sixes are a healthy market actually, right? But a lot of people just can't let go of those threes. I think now people are finally kind of getting used to it. Finally, when the first six months, everyone's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I'm mm-hmm. like, money's money. So gotta you still, still got to make it work for you. And at the end of the day, does it pencil out? Um, I don't think we're going to get back down to threes. I mean, we'd love it, It'd be a freaking amazing, but I, yeah, I I don't believe we're going to back in the threes. I think, you know, best we're going to be low fives, maybe high fours. Um, I think it's going to take place around the presidential election because it always shifts then because why we want votes, we're going to make things happen and make things change. I think it's going to be pretty stable until the election cycle takes place. And then we're going to start seeing some movement with inside of that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this election shakes out. I mean, I personally believe and I'm speculating we're going to see Trump. On the republican party go up against uh gavin or newsom i think newsom's gonna make a run at this thing and it's gonna be very uh, interesting to see how this shakes out does he said he's running now Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk out there um and uh leading indicators that that say hey he's gonna he's gonna run um so we'll see but uh i agree with you i think that's when we're gonna start to see some sort of uh pullback in the interest rate environment and who knows i mean who knows where inflation will be by then but Man, if you would have told me 18 months ago, like beginning of 22, uh, that the rates would have basically tripled mm. in, the, in the last 18 months, I would have thought you were fucking crazy. But you got to think about it. This is what I told my team when everyone freaked out, when the, the market came up and everyone's like,
1: oh, what are we going to do? Listen, if we keep, ra- if we would have kept rates at 3% for the next 10 years, there would be no jobs for lenders anyway. It'd be gone. What, are you, what do we need you for anymore? The rates have to go up to create a refi market eventually as well. It's a cyclical cycle. What comes up must come down and that's what creates market opportunity. And that's what's necessary. So yes, the rates will come back down. We're going to have a refi boom. I'm going to crush it then. But in the interim, there's still a lot of opportunity. There's still a lot of good deals to be had. And a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines, except for smart investors that are all buying everything right now because they know what's the writing on the wall. Once interest rates start to drop, what's going to happen? There's no, there's no inventory. Um, the prices are going to go back up to the roof. So right now, getting a deal with a higher interest rate, you're going to be paying a big premium once those rates drop because it's going to be a a frenzy to get property, and yeah. it's going to be back in uh, you know, 20, 2021. Where
0: people are paying 100 to 300 grand over property because I to get in now. Mm-hmm. So, I agree, and I think from a supply and demand, um, you know, basis, it's important to recognize the fundamentals in most markets around the country are very, very strong. We got a shortage of supply, and we got an all time uh, high in terms of demand. You got the baby boomers living longer, they're not moving into retirement homes as early as they were. And then you got from a demographic standpoint, you got the millennials uh, who are buying their first homes for the first time. They're starting families for the first time. Um, I saw an article on CoStar last week that said the uh, generation that has the biggest increase in in home buying right now is the millennial generation. And then you look at the Gen Zers behind the millennials, which is an even bigger demographic. They're moving out of their parents' house for the first time and renting apartments. Mm-hmm. And so I just think from a supply standpoint, whether it's apartments to rent, single family homes to to own. Um, there's just literally a shortage across the board and the rate environment is not doing it any favors because a lot of builders are pulling back a little bit right now. Yeah. And so I think, to your point, I think you're exactly right. I agree with you in the sense that whenever rates normalize, it's gonna it, we're going to start another bull run.
1: Yeah. Well, the biggest issue with builders right now, like the one thing in a recessional market that goes down almost down zero is land, right? So what do these contractors or these construction companies need? They need to purchase land, which is the hardest thing to purchase right now unless you have all, outright cash because they know in a recessional market what you're going to do when everything hits the fan i'm going to pull back that dirt thanks a lot mm-hmm. so that's the issue with the why the like construction has been slowed a lot like i i probably have close to 150 million dollars worth of land like deals sitting in my pipeline right now that i'm trying to place some of them i have some opportunities but they're difficult and that's why you're seeing builders not do as much because the land acquisition has to be pretty much cash and then if you get financing on top of it so um if, if it's my money in this market construction's where it's at but you gotta you gotta bring in the right investors.
0: Yeah, um, you mentioned you guys do some Airbnb stuff, and and you're looking at boutique hotels. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do on the uh, investment side. Personally, yeah. So we we've, we've done a lot of luxury Airbnbs um, throughout the country:
1: Miami, Arizona, Texas, California. Um, you know, I'm getting more into multifamily right now. We've been looking at boutique hotels as well. The one thing, like, I've been Reaching out to like, I'm good friends with Glenn Stearns right now mm-hmm. and learning from people like him and David Frost, who's the pre- president of uh, Fidelity. The one thing I'm learning from these guys is get more into multifamily. It's been a space like I, I lend it, but I don't personally ha- have a ton of, you know, I uh, guess what, what's the word for it? Confidence in it yet. So mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to get into. I've done very good in the luxury market. I know luxury. I know what the vibe, the energy. Me and my wife are really good at styling up properties. So we vibe them out. Like we have the Versace Villa, the, um, the Louis Vuitton Mansion. The oh, those Gu- are the names yeah, of your yeah, Airbnb listings? Yeah, yeah. Go- yeah that's so House cool. The House of Gucci. So we vibe them out because if you're going to an Airbnb you know, right, and you're going to Arizona or Miami, you want to have fun, you're going to pick a normal place. You're going to pick something that's vibed out. We're going to get mm-hmm. cool Instagram photos and show your friends. Man. So that was my mindset. It's vibe everything out. Now, my next train of thought, now it's getting a multifamily and you're going to get, you know, pick something up, get the ARV out, pull the money out. And it's about the long term hold. But it's a little, it's a different perspective, but that's what I'm getting to right now.
0: Yeah, dude, I talk about this all the time, man, because like you, I've, I've done the multifamily stuff. The majority of the stuff I own right now is multifamily. I'm just not buying it at the moment. Um, and then I, you know, we do the Airbnb stuff. We're like managing in, in 10 markets around the country, um, done some luxury stuff. And then now we're doing the hotels. But I'm like, dude, the multifamily is great. I love that asset class Um, from a risk-adjusted return basis. I don't think there's a better asset class out there. There's never going to be a replacement for two things, a place for people to sleep and a place for people to store their belongings. That's never going to go anywhere. And so you could argue that asset class is evergreen. It can't be Kodak. It can't be BlackBerry. It's going to be around forever. Um, But on the flip side, it's like, dude, you can't use your creative mind when you're doing the multifamily stuff, especially if you're buying C, C class, B class, workforce housing type of stuff um it's hard to you know use the creative side of the mind but on the flip side like you alluded to hey you guys are doing luxury rentals love those fucking names that you're throwing yeah. out there those are pretty cool um and so with the luxury stuff and the airbnb stuff we get to get creative with the hotels we get to get creative the design element um there's just so many more levers to push and pull to like yeah. really push that revenue
1: yeah and one thing we you know have talked about too is you know you know, we built this all up. So we want to take pride in what we own too. Mm-hmm. So we're buying luxury properties. Like, Hey, I own this. I want to go stay there as well. So when you go into multifamily, these places, you want to stay at half your multifamily place. Would you live there? No, no. Right. But, but that's a different mindset, right? Yeah. Like for me, everything I wear, drive, you want to live in, I want to be prideful of it. But now i got to get myself with that mindset. Listen, it's not about that. It's about the lo- It's about long-term holds and then the greater appreciation over time. California is the one state I don't like to invest in too much. Obviously, the rent controls and all the legalities and the tax implications with it. Um, but I see, you know, Arizona is really still a good market, probably the best market for Airbnbs, in my opinion. Um, I think Phoenix is going to be the next. Now Scottsdale's been a little bit saturated. Phoenix is there to take off. Um, Dallas, Texas, those are really good spots. Miami's good, but they're shutting down most of the short term stuff right now with all, all the changes. So a lot of people got hammered on those ones
0: and a lot of shifty people there as well. Yeah. Out of all those Airbnbs that you mentioned, which one is your favorite? Um, probably the new one. The Versace Villa is gonna be my
1: favorite one so far because it's just got a really it's almost like a huge, huge property with a casita, the pool. It's just got a really cool vibe, but it's very private. Um and we're renting them out to like the Sun's basketball players often out there. It's in Scottsdale. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, no. So this is Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. And I know Matt HBI, who bought the Suns as well. He's one of our top lender relationships. So I'm going to work out a deal with them to start supplying their players with properties out there. There's no rentals right now. Mm-hmm. Like, even my realtor called me the other day. She's like, there's five rentals right now in Phoenix. Five. Wow. But there's, there's properties to buy, but everyone's either short term, but there's no one that's doing long term. So even like long term, I'm getting hit up on 25 to 30 grand a month for my rentals. I mean, you know, these properties I'm buying for
0: around, you know, two, two and a half mil, but 25, 30 grand a month. Consistent? Not bad. How many bedrooms and uh, bathrooms is that property?
1: Um that one is six, five, six, six five, five.
0: five. You got all the amenities too. Pool. Yeah, no, it's it's stacked. Everything. Yeah. Sauna, pool, um, pickleball courts, um you know you do. I got a uh, a luxury property out in Scottsdale, mm-hmm. Eight Bed Eight Bath, and it's got the pickleball court, the guest house, basketball. That's court. I did the uh the basketball court, full court, but yep. I did like Sun's logos um but dude the pickleball courts where it's at with the airbnb game man i finally I, played for the first time a couple of weeks ago i yeah. was like pickleball and i'm yeah. finally played. i like all right it's like a giant ping pong game it's mm-hmm. great <laughs> but you know what we did is we uh when we put pickleball in the listing title on airbnb our revenue went up like 35 percent overnight yeah it's crazy it's, it's crazy so i tell everyone now i'm like hey man if you if you have a, a big enough yard just drop the 30 grand and put in a nice little pickleball court put yep. that in your listing title you probably make that back in, in two or three months. Yeah, I know. It, it's amazing how much it's a, a thing right now. You didn't hear about it at all two years ago. Now everyone pickleball. pickleball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the training side, what are, who's like the biggest athlete uh, name wise that you've ever trained? Uh, I was good friends with like Luis Castillo. I trained him for a long time. Okay. Um, you know, he, it, he was a uh, defensive uh, lineman for the Chargers. right? Yeah.
1: Great guy. Still, still chat. And I helped him like when he got off, got off the field, we helped him drop all the weight off as well um athletes are just it's a different mentality right? just to, to train athletes um but you know i learned the most from you know the professionals who train more than athletes mm-hmm. right athletes are yes it's great for their focus but for me when i train people if i could train like a ceo of a huge company or a doctor or a lawyer i learn learned so much more from those people to be honest than athletes right yeah. because intellectually i'm i'm talking to them all day long just, and that's that's really helped me like working with those people for over a decade And then getting into real estate and using those opportunities and leveraging that and then that trust and reliability that helped helped build my business.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Uh, It's crazy how those linebackers and like defensive linemen, the football players, when they get out of pro football and retire, like how much weight they take off.
1: We got it. I mean, you can't sustain it as well. I mean, you got to eat constantly and then you're not moving as much. Either they get really fat like a Charles Barkley or or Mm. they slim down really quick.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The Taco
1: Bell will get you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you uh, where do you train at today? Um, I have a private facility in my house at this point. So when COVID yeah. hit, I was like, I'm, I'm just, so I have a um, car garage, but I turned in one side of my garage to do a private gym and I have everything there at this point. So I wake up first in the morning, hit the gym, cardio weights. I have a hot sauna, then I take my kids to school Get to, and, then, and I have my home office as well. So we have an office where all my HR and
0: onboarding people at my residence as well. Um, so everything's kind of at my property at this point. Okay. Uh, and so your team is, is are they all remote as well? Pretty much everyone's remote. Like okay. we have seven hundred people across the country in all wow. all different states at this point. That's pretty cool. And, and you're in Rancho Santa Fe. Yeah, nice. That's cool, man. I um I love Little Italy, but I could see myself like living out in Rancho one day, especially if I had, you know start a family one day. Yeah, we we
1: lived in uh, Bankers Hill, our first property Did out you? here. Um, we got married, and then you know I never I, I didn't want to go to Rancho Santa Fe. My wife's like, Oh, Rancho Santa Fe. I grew up in the country. The the town I grew up in was was nine hundred forty two people. Mm. We had a piggly wiggly a gas station, we had drive your tractor school day. So that's where the hick pound I came from originally. So for me, I always wanted to be close to things. So being in Little Italy was uh, cool. I could walk outside, restaurants. Like I love that vibe. Um, but we ended up finding a really cool property that's Coastal Ranch Santa Fe. So we actually mm-hmm. see the ocean from our second story, but it's like seven minutes from the freeway. So I ended up working out and now I am enjoying enjoying the, um, the space. Like we have three acres out there. I don't see my neighbors. Kind of nice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have you, um you know, while you've been doing real estate here in San Diego, um, what are you guys seeing like on the on the agent side in terms of sales due to the interest rate environment?
1: Sales are definitely. Go- I mean, there's twofold, right? There's no there's not much inventory. So sales have obviously dr- dramatically dried up. Right. Um, So obviously, a lot of real estate agents are hurting, you know, in for business. And, you know, there's there's less opportunities out there. And that's why, you know. Me personally, I switched into that commercial, started adding business loans, SBA loans, equipment loans. Um, you know, I can even do Lambo leases. Now I get Lambo Ferrari guys, call me all the time for the people they can't finance. They send them to me. We can do yachts, we can do private planes. So that's what I pivoted into. Like, Yes, it slowed down. We're still moving. I'm still focused on purchase. But now I have all these other outlets to help my team make money for their And That's what it comes down to.
0: What does uh, financing a private jet look like?
1: It's not cheap. It's yeah. Not cheap, but you're you're buying a private jet, right? So it just depends how much money you're putting down on those things. But the people that buy private jets are the people that need the write-off, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not talking to people like, hey, I'm scrounging my pennies to buy a private jet. You like like the Grant Cardones, they have the money, they need the write-off, and most of them are taking the big the big depreciation over year one, anyways. So They don't really care, or the, you know, or it's running everything through their business as well. That's my dream one day to ha- have the private jet and like all my friends are like yachts. I'm like. I care less about a yacht. I enjoy my friend's yacht. It's great. I don't really like the water that much, but I want to get to places at a fast rate and not worry about going through security and delays.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and you could argue it is it, probably more depreciation with the jet versus the yacht. I mean, I'm not a CPA, but the yacht, I mean, if you're out, you know, doing leisure, I guess you could say you're working on the yacht.
1: You can, I mean, a lot of them guys your, do. Bring your laptop. But there's right? always something breaking on a yacht. Every time yeah. I call my buddies, like, oh, I got this. I got that. Mm-hmm. And, and But they love it. Like either, they always say the, the best two days is the day you buy the yacht and the day you sell the yacht, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's constant maintenance. For me, I'd rather rent a yacht five times out of the year because that's probably the only time I'm going to use it anyways. It's going to sit there. Like my cars, I haven't driven my McLaren in two months at this point. It's just sitting in my garage charged up. I just look at it every morning when I work out. I'm like, oh, that's great. But yeah. it's just sitting there. So, you know, I work too much to to really take Maybe one day. maybe one day.
0: Yeah, which one did you drive in today? Uh, I drove the the Bentley, the gold Bentley. What's the um, the nicest car in this this car club in the San Diego chapter that you assume? I think there's some Bugattis in there. Um, one of the one of the members
1: had a Bugatti in there. Um, really, I don't know all the names of them. So
0: we'll see a Bugatti on Saturday. I don't think so. No,
1: you'll see like uh, maybe a Ford GTs. Mm -hmm. Those ones are pretty sick. When you're driving a million dollar car, like when I went on drive a million dollar car on the road with a whole bunch of other people, rocks are kicking up and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. I remember one time, you know, if laugh at Clem, we, we went to a drive and the guy, one of the guys, um, the Crowley's brought out his GT. It's a, it's a million dollar car. And they didn't, they didn't look at the roads and it turned out like one of the roads got totally shut down. And it was all gravel, right? Mm. So We're all laughing because we always get our cars clean and we're driving like down this gravel road for like seven miles. We're all looking at Clem like, bro, bro, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, at that level, you know, certain things for me for cars, you know, the GTs are sick. Do I want to spend three to five million dollars on a, a
0: Bugatti one day? Not my thing. Is that you the know? price tag for a Bugatti? Usually around that, three to five million. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit! I had no idea. I was thinking like five or six hundred grand. No, no. I mean, most Ferraris now
1: are five to six hundred thousand. You know, right. five to seven hundred thousand for a good Ferrari now. But Yeah, the is just—it's a big flex. Yeah. You, you know, I, there are certain things you buy that says, "Hey, I just have a lot of money." Is it that much cooler than you know R eight or a McLaren? Mm-hmm. You know, you can debate it, right? What did you spend on your McLaren? sounds like two eighty five, I think. Okay. cheaper. The doors go up. The doors go. I like Ferraris Fri- are still my favorite, though. Yeah, for all my cars. Like, I had a 450A, it's probably one of my favorite cars. I'm getting the new, new 296 GTB, the the new hybrid. I think I'm like two away from allocation. That car, then I'll probably switch up the McLaren for that one. Yeah, but they're fun. Like, for me, when I joined Fastlane, it was a way to write off my cars. It's a marketing group, it's a networking group, and I really only use the car for the group. So, it is a write off. You mm-hmm. know, my friends like, Oh, yeah, I didn't is- even think about that as a perk. But it's your, your for sure. It's from your marketing. Order. Yeah. Right now, look at look at the connections you're making through it. Right? right, that's what it is. It's a networking entrepreneur group, and that's what you're utilizing for.
0: Cool, my man. Well, hey, listen, I appreciate you coming on the show, dude. I'm looking forward to um, you know, connecting more this weekend, and um, looking forward to meeting Elena, dude. So I appreciate you coming on. No, thank you so much for having me. yep listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Peace.